Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Matthew chapter 1, beginning to read at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child, and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Great, good morning. Well, how do you feel about babies? Um, I have my first picture up on the screen. There we go. How do you feel about babies? Um, Or how do you respond to, to the news that someone is pregnant? Now, I know if you're a girl, you see a baby, your natural reaction, you can't help yourself, you go, ah. Um, one of my friends, he said just the other week, he's just like, meh, whatever, babies. Um, me, I'm pro-babies, don't get me wrong, I'm pro-babies. But I have no idea what to say when someone places a baby in my arms and goes, aren't they cute? Um, because, well, look at them. I'm thinking ugly, wrinkled, I'm trying to forget where they've just come from, and I'm like, what do I say? Aren't they cute? Yes. How do you, so even my, um, uh, my, my relatives, they had a baby recently called Benedict, and he was placed in my arms, and everyone said, isn't he cute? Yes. How do you respond? I'm, I'm much more, I find socially situations much easier when someone tells me they're pregnant. I've worked out how to say, congratulations. It's much more straightforward. Well, well what about you? How do you respond uh, to babies? Why not um, chat with a person next to you? You've got 90 seconds. How do you respond to babies? Are you a, a cooer, an ara, or a <gasps> panicker like me? And how do you respond uh, to the news that someone's pregnant? Just chat with a person next to you for a couple of seconds. Okay, let's, um, let's gather back together. Um, I don't know how you respond to babies, but I wonder whether the news that someone is pregnant, um, the, the, the person who the news comes from makes a big difference, doesn't it? I mean, so if you're married and uh, your wife says she's pregnant, you go, yes, brilliant, I presume. Um, <laughs> or, or maybe a married friend comes to you and says they're pregnant, I'm well rehearsed, congratulations. Um, but what happens if your teenage daughter comes and says to you, I'm pregnant? Congrat- how, what would you say? 
and my social uh, faux pas could become quite bad in that situation. And I guess the first Christmas is a bit like that, isn't it? It's a bit Jeremy Kyle, for want of a better expression. There he is. Um, Mary, young woman, unmarried, pregnant, by God, make a great episode of Jeremy Carl, wouldn't it? Let's get the lie detector out, let's get a DNA test, see how it goes. Um, I don't mean, but the virgin birth is, is a major stumbling block to many people becoming Christians. Um, and maybe it's even for you, you, you kind of think, well, I just can't believe it. It seems crazy. Nonsense, even. I mean, um, when me and Kathy were engaged, if she'd have come to me and said, Joe, um, I'm pregnant, I wouldn't have said congratulations. Um, we, we're not having sex. And if she'd have come to me and said she was pregnant and God had done it, I'd have been a touch sceptical. And I'm sure you would have been too. You know, anger, shock, disbelief would have come across me. And I guess the virgin birth raises all kinds of questions, doesn't it? And maybe you came to Carol's last night, and that's why you're here this morning, and you thought, the guy who was up here last night seemed to suggest that the virgin birth was real, like actually happened. Or maybe you're bringing friends, and I can imagine what's going through their heads is, that can't be true. The virgin birth, Really? And I guess there's many people like that. I mean, maybe you're here this morning and whenever you hear about virgin births or miracles or resurrection, you just go, well, no way. Because for you, um, you look at the world and you've looked at the world and you go, well, those things just do not happen. Uh, you've ruled it out already. And so the virgin birth is just another one of many ridiculous things that happens in the Bible. And maybe if that's you, and you just think, well, miracles are just a a no-go, full stop, the end. Let me encourage you this morning to perhaps think a different way. Uh, Just for a moment to imagine that perhaps God is there. That perhaps he he is real. Um, Because let's just think about it. If, If God is there, well then virgin births and miracles and resurrections at least become possible, don't they? And so this morning, let me invite you to to imagine a world where God does exist. Imagine a world that that where it's possible that these things could happen. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look closely at an account of uh, the virgin birth and see if it has the ring of truth about it. Because if if God is there, then then it's possible. But is it probable? Is Is it myth that we're going to read or is it real? Another common objection that many people have to the virgin birth is that it was all just a big mistake anyway. Uh, that Matthew, uh, when he writes about it, he's got it completely wrong. So just, uh, just look with me at verse 23. Uh, he's quoting from Isaiah. And he says, The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. Now, it all seems quite straightforward, um, but many people have drawn attention to the fact that if you read it in Isaiah, the word there isn't virgin, but young woman. And so, so Matthew kind of wrongly thought there was this prediction of a virgin birth and has sort of um, imposed that on what happened with Jesus. Now, in one sense, I don't think it's a really great objection because even if he had got it wrong, 
Um, there's still lots of evidence in the New Testament that Jesus was born from a virgin, so it doesn't get rid of that. But, but did Matthew get it right when he quoted the Old Testament? Was he just being fanciful? Well, I think the question comes down to what was Isaiah expecting? What was he thinking of when he said the young woman will conceive and give birth to a son. What did he have in his mind by young woman? And what comes to your mind when you think of a young woman? And maybe, what, 15, 16? Presumably unmarried. In our culture, maybe sexually active, who knows? But in Isaiah's day, he knew no concept of an unmarried young woman who'd had sex. And so Matthew, all Matthew is doing for us is showing what Isaiah originally intended was that a young unmarried woman who'd never had sex would give birth there's no contradiction there there's no misquote he's just showing us what the implication is clearly well in the bible there are the four eyewitness accounts of jesus well let's see if we look there are there any clues as to whether the virgin birth is just fanciful and mythical mythological or does it have the ring of truth in the way it's written, is it, is it just Joseph hears about this virgin birth? Oh, of course. Or does he respond differently? And so what I'm going to encourage you to do is spend just a few minutes with the person next to you. Why not reread through and just look at Joseph's different responses at different points? And you've got three or four minutes. Have a quick read through. How, does, how did you expect Joseph to respond to the news? How does he respond? And what changes in his response towards the end and why? And you've got three or four minutes. Just turn with the person next to you and see if it has the ring of truth. Well, how would you expect Joseph to respond? Um, cynicism, shock, anger. And I guess um, this passage gives us the ring of truth, doesn't it? Because look at verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Uh, that is the response of, of a, a nice guy who's clearly upset and who doesn't believe her, isn't it? has the ring of truth he responds as I guess we would respond to that kind of news he's cynical about it even though he has a view of the world where God exists he's still cynical about this because even for him it's unusual see as a Christian who believes that God is there and there are miracles I don't expect to see them all the time and he's clearly a nice guy isn't he because he's going to divorce her and he doesn't want to bring shame on her and so he's going to do it quietly. Well, he's going to take a lot to change his mind, isn't it? A massive thing to change his mind. That's exactly what happened. So he has this, this dream. And then verse 24, when he woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. It needs a, a massive bit of evidence, if you like, for him to change his mind. To turn from cynicism and doubt and shock and anger to believing. And I guess if, if this dream persuaded Joseph, the guy who was clearly most affected by the news, then I reckon it should persuade us too. Uh, the virgin birth, I think, is not only possible, because let's imagine a world where God is there, but it's probable. It's true that the way it's written has the ring of truth, doesn't it? It fits our experience of life and reality. Well... Uh, we're going to explore a bit more about the virgin birth uh, in a few minutes' time. But what we're going to do now is we're going to sing, 
a song that captures some, some ideas about the significance of the virgin birth. And during this song, it's going to be time for all the collection. And if you're a guest, please just pass the bag along. Um, it's part of our way we church family, we give to the work here. Um, but let's stand as the music begins and see. Well, so far we've seen that the virgin birth is possible, probable, true, maybe. Um, but brilliant. We have a nice story about a baby. Um, maybe you're still going to shrug your shoulders. It's a baby story. You're not bothered. Uh, maybe you'll coo ah because it's nice. But why? why? Why virgin birth? What's the point, really? I mean, is, is it really relevant to us that Jesus was born of a virgin? Does it, does it matter? Because the question is, who is this Jesus who is born of a virgin? Now, now I'm going to talk about, about God here. It's not a threat. It's just important that we define terms before we move on. Because uh, I reckon everyone in the world has their view about God. Everyone does. Uh, for some, he is a distant, lonely, single guy in the sky who sort of is not that interested. Uh, maybe that's what you think about God. I don't know. Uh, many people do. And maybe that describes perhaps the God of some religions. You'd have to ask them. But that is not the God of the Bible. Um, let me just be clear as, as I start to talk about God, who God is. Uh, God is the loving relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit. Three persons united in love. That's the Bible's picture of God. Not one person, three persons united together in love. And it is this God we're going to think about. And in fact, it is God the Son, who is eternally loved by the Father, who comes down. That's what we're going to talk about now. That's who Jesus is. He is the eternally loved son of the Father. And so what we're going to see is the virgin birth is possible, probable, true, but the virgin birth tells us lots and lots about God. The virgin birth tells us lots and lots about God. Um, Just look at verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him... Emmanuel, which means God with us. And there's that really old song, terrible old song, um, what if God was one of us? But seriously, what if God was one of us? What if he, he came down? What would it be like? Well, um, the Christians talk about this word, they use the word incarnation. Or uh, has the word sort of carne in, so from the word sort of chili con carne. Where are we? There you go, nice picture of chili con carne. Um, con carne means sort of with meat. It's that kind of idea. Um, Jesus, if you like, God the Son, the eternally loved Son of the Father, takes on meat. Now, I don't mean he's got kidney beans for eyes and a chili for his lips. That's not what I'm talking about. But he takes on flesh. The eternally loved son of the father takes on flesh, takes on meat, becomes incarnate. He becomes a man, which is pretty crazy, isn't it? I don't know what you think about God, but if your view of God is the distant, lonely one, then that's something he would never do, isn't it? He'd never come down. He's far too lofty and above that. But the God of the Bible will come down. He will become Emmanuel, God with us. 
And it tells us something profound about God. He's not just present and there, but he is with us and he is for us. He's on our side. He wants what's best for us. God the Son will identify himself with us in every way except sin. In every way except sin. See, God is not wholly other, he is wholly with us and for us. These are the lengths the God of the Bible will go to reveal himself to us. He will even become a tiny baby in a shameful birth in some kind of murky backwater to nobody parents. The God of the Bible wants to identify with us. He enters our world, our pain, and our lives. And I don't know about you, but when you were a teenager, most of us have been through that. Some of us are going through it at the moment. But you probably said at some point to your parents, you don't understand me. You don't, you don't know what it's like being a teenager. It's obviously nonsense, because the fact they're older than you means they've been through it. Um, but we all do it. And I think we think of that a bit like God. We go, God, you don't know what it's like to be me. You don't know what it's like to be a person, a human. But that's just not true. We cannot make that accusation about God. The eternal son of God took on flesh. He became a baby. He was even a teenager. (laughs) Became a man. He, He knows emotions. He knows pain. He knows frustration. He knows work. He knows dependence. He knows what it's like to be on the run from a king who wants him dead, if you read on in this account of Jesus' life. He knows what it's like to face hunger and temptation to do the wrong thing. He knows the joy of friendship. He knows the pain of a friend dying. He knows awkward social situations. He knows what it's like to hold a baby in his arms and to have the right words to say. He knows what it's like to hear people's desperate pleas for help. He knows what it's like to have enemies who want to pick a fight with him. He knows betrayal from friends. He knows the pain of having his skin ripped and torn. He knows loneliness and he knows mockery. He identifies with us in every way except that he never did anything wrong. And the whole time he's demonstrating to us that the God of the Bible, he understands. He cares and he came for us. I don't know if you've ever seen this film, uh, The Boy with Striped Pyjamas. No nodding, so just me. This is going to be a wasted illustration. Um, but um, it's, a, it's a really brilliant film. Um, it's so good that on the front it says a film that should be seen. So no higher praise than that. Um, but it's a great film. It's set in the Second World War, and there's a boy whose uh, father is a commander in the Nazi, in the Nazi army, who runs a death camp essentially and he doesn't realise this Um, but he lives in this grand house full of opulence and um, he goes exploring around the the grounds and he ends up at this place where there's a barbed wire fence and just the other side of the fence is a a young boy about his age wearing striped pyjamas from his viewpoint anyway these two kids they they build up a friendship Um, and it's a great it's a really great film Um, but at the end of the film I'm going to spoil it that's fine Um, there's this incredible moment um, where 
the son of the Nazi commander, is so desperate to have a better friendship, not through offence, but to be with him, that he, he breaks in through the fence and puts on striped pyjamas, that he can be friends with him. And it is a wonderful picture, a tiny taste of what Jesus does for us. You see, Jesus goes even greater lengths. He leaves the throne room of heaven. He takes on flesh that he might identify with us in every way and know and understand our pain. The God of the Bible will go to extreme lengths to reveal himself to us. And I guess in many ways, the, the virgin birth, it shows us that we have a God who's on a search and rescue mission. And it's a crazy idea for a rescue mission, isn't it? A baby. But that's what he does. The eternal son of the father becomes so lowly. A baby able to die. But it does beg the question, why a rescue mission? Why not just show who you are? Why come to show who you are and rescue? Well, as much as the virgin birth tells us loads about God, it reveals lots about us. It shows us what we're like. Just look at verse 21 again with me. She will give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. The virgin birth tells us that God has come on a rescue mission for us because we are in great, great danger. And maybe that's a shock to some of us. We don't feel in danger, do we? Not really. I mean, we're, we're here in leafy forwards. We've all fairly well-rounded, nice, kind, middle-class type individuals, most of us. And we're good, moral, upright people most of the time. Uh, we don't seem to, to lack for much, do we? Christmas will be a great time for most of us. And yeah, the Virgin Birth tells us we need saving from our sin. Now, I reckon most of the time we, we kind of define sin in terms of the things we do wrong. And that's not wrong, of course it's true. But I think sin is bigger than that. It's bigger than just the things we do. I think it would be better if we defined it relationally. See, I think sin is primarily about who or what you're living for. So if you have no relationship with the God who is Father, Son and Spirit, then you are living in sin. That's the way the Bible describes it. Uh, to reject that God, to ignore him, to think he doesn't exist, is to sin. And so that means, actually, it's, it's strange this, but it's perfectly possible to go about your everyday life, uh, you know, to go into co-op down the road and explore the new slightly weird aisle system, um, to, to play your sport, to enjoy family life, and the whole time be sinning. Because <laughs> you have no relationship with the God who made you. And so we often think sin means stealing and thieving and killing, but it can just mean being a family member, playing sport, eating your tea, going to co-op. And we all do it. I do. God is not the one I live for. So often, it's me. 
We're all looking for life somewhere. And instead of going to the one who is the fountain, the source of all life, we look for it elsewhere. In other people or in ourselves or in things. And the Bible says that is truly dangerous. Because if you don't live in relationship with the fount of all life, then you will be cut off from that very fount. But this is why the virgin birth is such good news. The virgin birth is a rescue mission. And it's all the more amazing that the one who comes to save is the very one we've ignored, rejected and not believed in. He came for us to save us, even though we don't deserve it, even though we'd have nothing to do with him if we had our own way. Well, how is he going to save us? Why is it so important that he is born of a virgin and takes on flesh? Well, it's only because he took on flesh that he can do it. Only because he took on flesh that he can do it. You see, we desperately need a rescue, someone who can be our substitute. In the old part of the Bible, um, the way people um, sort of mended that relationship with, with God, Father, Son, and Spirit was through sacrifices. Um, they just, any, any animal they could basically find, they were to, to kill, and the bloodshed of the animal meant that they could be forgiven and they could come back into a relationship with God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, the animal was punished instead of the person. But we all kind of know, don't we, that animals aren't really a very good substitute for a person. Um, so, for example, I, I play a bit of hockey. Here's my hockey stick. I've stopped playing this season. The last time I used this was an incident involving a mouse. Less said about that, the better. Um, but imagine I was playing, in, playing a game of hockey, and um, at the side of the pitch, the substitute for me was lined up, and it was a, a sheep. Now, um, I'd be somewhat offended. Now, the hockey skills of a sheep are probably similar to mine, but I like to think I've got a better hockey brain. But I'd be upset if they put on a sheep or a pigeon or a cow in my place. Because we all know, deep down, don't we, that that's not a good substitute for a person. But you see, the glorious news of the virgin birth is that God the Son takes on flesh so he can be our substitute. Man for mankind. Like us in every way except he never sinned. He really is the perfect substitute. He dies in our place and he faces our punishment of death. Person for person, man for mankind. He leaves the throne room of heaven, that perfect place with Father and Spirit to enter our world. God the Son becomes so weak and so small and so helpless to show there is nothing he will not do for us. Nothing. And that's how we can be saved. We can enter in, if now, into the love of the Father through God the Son. And so if you like, he becomes what we are so that we can become what he is, a loved son of the Father. See, how you respond to this baby really matters. You might want to go, ah, you might not know what to say. You might just want to shrug your shoulders, but you can't do that with this baby. 
because this baby is the eternal son of God the Father who has come down, stooped so low that he might be your substitute. And so this morning he invites all of us to receive his life. He invites us to trust him and not ourselves. He invites us to see that he has taken our death, that we might have his life. And so I'm going to pray that we might do that, that this Christmas we might rejoice in the glorious news of the true virgin birth that shows us so much about our God and so much about ourselves. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we've um, glimpsed small things of the virgin birth this morning. And yet they are brilliant, brilliant things. Father, help each of us here this morning to see that it is true and that it is such brilliant news. uh, That you, our Heavenly Father, would send your eternal Son. That he might become like us in every way except sin. That he might die in our place. And that we might have life. Life being loved by you. Father, this Christmas, give give us greater joy in that truth we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen.